If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of, or rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'll be reading there in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now from what the Apostle writes in verse 23, we learn that this ordinance was in no wise instituted or introduced by men, but rather by Christ himself. In the night in which he was betrayed, he instituted this memorial supper for his disciples, indeed for all Christians. And remember, this parting testament, this parting gift was given by our Lord to his people with the design of comforting and blessing them. And so consequently, but beloved, we should cherish this ordinance as a treasure of the highest value. Indeed, we should love it dearly and should observe it cheerfully until he comes. For through it, he has designed it in such a way that we should derive much gospel comfort and joy through observing it, thus fulfilling this testament will of our dying Lord and Savior. You see, true Christians will never disregard this command, but will rather find comfort in observing it until the day when the Lord shall reign, shall, shall, shall again come from heaven to judge the quick and the dead. Many Pharisees in false religion frighten people by the words of the apostle in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. But the thing of it is this, beloved. This supper is not set forth to affect woe, fear, or trembling in his people. That's not it. Rather, this supper, when viewed with the eye of faith, is to supply new, fresh, and comforting measures of his grace, which Christ himself makes his people who were once blind to behold in this memorial supper. Now, historically, and even to this very day, there are Pharisees that set forth this memorial supper in such a manner as to produce nothing but fear and trembling, so much so that some people even refuse to partake of it. And these Pharisees teach the, that people, the, the people that they must first confess all their sins and to recompense for them. But what does Scripture teach us? Beloved, say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. You see, if it were true that we must first confess all our sins and do recompense for them, first of all, time would not permit me to confess all my sins. And further, I could never recompense for one sin. I mean, if that is what is meant by observing the Lord's Supper worthily, then none of us could observe the Lord's table. Today, many 
who are conscious of their sinfulness, many who fear to partake of the Lord's Supper, well, they judge themselves unworthy to partake of it because they've been lied to. You see, Pharisees teach that only those who are worthy in of themselves may partake of this cup in this, in the, in this cup in the New Testament in his blood. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, today, in what is commonly called the Mass, those Pharisees that pretend to be priests, they wrest the Scriptures to their own destruction and cause sinners to fear and mistrust the solemn memorial supper and cause many to fear it be a source of death or even a means of eating damnation to oneself, as the Apostle expresses it in our portion. It is the saddest of affairs, beloved, and nothing whatsoever is merry about the Christ Mass celebrated in false false religion. And in direct opposition to the command of our blessed Lord, remember, he is the one who instituted the supper in, in that both his body and blood should be received. And not only the eating of the bread, but so too by partaking of the cup. I was watching the other day the blasphemy of the Mass. And I saw afresh with my very own eyes how these lawyers, these pretended priests, trample underfoot the distribution of the Lord's Supper. Who are you, O man, to do that which is contrary from which Christ himself has instituted and ordered? What a terrible abomination. Think of it, beloved. All those who now sit under that blasphemy, all those who will not come out from those synagogues of Satan, they will never know what it is to behold the cup and partake of his blood with the eye of faith, or for that matter, hear of the efficacy of his shed blood with the ear of faith. That's what happens in Roman Catholic buildings. There is a pretended Pharisee priest behind a table, and he partakes both of the, the that wine that, that symbolizes the blood and the, the bread that symbolizes the broken body. And everyone in that whole building knows nothing of the comfort that we will, by God's grace, enjoy in a moment to behold that wine and see the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Just think of it. All those who will not come out from those synagogues of Satan, they will never know what it is to behold the cup and partake of his blood with the eye of faith, or for that matter, hear of the efficacy of his blood with the ear of faith. Beloved, our Lord declares, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. You see, in false religion, there is no gospel comfort, no twofold blessing and beholding by faith what the Lord had done through his broken body and shed blood in accomplishing the salvation of his people. Well, who are his people? Who are they? The apostle tells us, indeed, indeed, God's very own word declares, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What a cursed thing the Mass is. There is nothing merry about the Mass of Christ. To change the observance of the Lord's table into a work to perform, whereby the religious and superstitious partly partake of his body, fearing the wrath and judgment of God. I pray God grant us to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning aright, that we may observe it gladly according to its institution 
and true meaning. Beloved, do we not find the most exceedingly cheerful words here in our portion when our Lord tells his disciples ever so blessedly, take, eat, this is my body, take and drink ye all of it, this, is, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do in remembrance of me. And do this not only one time, but, beloved, repeatedly until he comes. You see, our blessed Lord designed by means of this memorial supper to keep a lively remembrance of him who is the object of our faith. You see, he instituted his supper as a constant memorial of his death through which we are delivered from our sins and everlasting misery. What a condescension. What condescension in love, beloved. My friend, there is no anger in this table, nor vengeance in this memorial supper. Indeed, a loving parent could not deal more kindly with their own children than the way our Lord tenderly speaks with his disciples. You see, Christ's chief design, as he himself declares it, is that we shall not forget him. It is his earnest, heartfelt testament that our whole being shall be impressed with the memory of his passion on our behalf, that we may never forget how he died for us upon the cross and rose again from the dead. For this was the design of his instituting this memorial supper, that coming generations should declare and know him in this way as their Lord, that they might ever behold and remember how it was that he saved them. Our Lord Jesus Christ declares, Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, beloved, he was he has given us this commission to instruct all nations in his word, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things, indeed to keep his remembrance in this supper, that those who come after may also be persuaded to worship him in the congregation of believers and own the Lord Jesus Christ as their only comfort and consolation. For this reason, the Lord instituted this supper, and, beloved, we ought never to be weary in remembering him through it. You see, just as when true friends meet, it is no burdensome task for them to sit together in conversation throughout the night, forgetful of sleep and rest. And so why then should we grow weary of learning and of preaching the precious truth that Christ Jesus the Lord is our Redeemer? Now, this ordinance... This memorial supper was not merely instituted that Christ Jesus the Lord might be honored, for he can truthfully say, I need not thy praise, for I am the Son of God, whether thou thou glorify me or not. But further to honoring our Lord, further to that, he instituted this supper especially so because we stand in need of such a memorial, a memorial of the broken body and shed blood of Christ Jesus our Lord, that we who by God's grace have the eye and ear of faith, might be blessed to behold afresh him that saves our souls to the uttermost. Listen to the words which he gives for us to know from his very own lips. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And soon after, he gives the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Luke records him saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, 
which is shed for you. What gospel consolation, what gospel comfort it is to hear those words with the ear of faith for that sinner who was made to believe, to know, and to see with the eye of faith that Christ gave his body for me and that he shed his blood for the remission of all my sins. No blood-bought sinner can hear and see that by faith and despair. No matter what sin he is guilty of, no matter what the world and the devil may say, what does it say in the book of Acts? When the Gentiles heard this, a Gentile like you and a Gentile like me, when they heard this, they were glad. (laughs) They were blessed, happy, exceeding glad, and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. For you see, beloved, what was true then is true today, that we, by God's grace, are made to know by the gift of God, by the power and operation of God, that what's pictured in this memorial supper is gospel reality, that Christ Jesus the Lord has wrought such a redemption for his people that truly all my sins and iniquities shall be remembered no more. He is to be praised. He is to be thanked. Thank you, Lord, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. What gospel comfort, what gospel consolation is set forth for us to behold as we feast together. That Christ gives us this bread to behold by faith his body broken for you. And with the wine, beloved, to behold by faith his blood shed for you. And as each one of us eateth and drinketh with the eye of faith, beholding him through the emblems of the unleavened bread and unleavened wine, enabled by God the Holy Spirit, we behold the unspeakable reality of the gospel, how that our Heavenly Father, and may I, without doing damage to the text, own it for myself, my Heavenly Father hath made his only begotten Son to be made guilty of my sin, God's well-pleasing Son, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, He who knew no sin in thought, word, and deed, God's innocent, dear Son, took to Himself all the guilty stains of all my shame, all my sins, and all my crimes, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that I might be made innocent like He is innocent, that I might be made well-pleasing like he is well-pleasing in God's sight. Can it be (laughs) that Christ suffered and died for me, and not for me alone, but so too for St. Peter, St. Paul, and St. you in the pew, and St. me in the pulpit? (laughs) You see, beloved, to comfort us in this gospel, Christ gave us this memorial supper. For by it, he enables each one of us individually to behold afresh his broken body, and his shed blood for your full atonement. My friend, are you by faith the gift of God and able to eat and drink with us this morning, believing that the body of Christ was given for you and that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your many sins? Be sure to know this, my friend, 
it is not the act of observing this ordinance, or for that matter, the act of eating and drinking, whereby somehow we obtain God's grace or favor. But rather it is by the gift of God, a faith not of ourselves, given to us in power by God's grace. It is that faith which receives, believes, and knows that these words of Christ are speaking of me and speaking of you who believe. When he says, I give you my body, given for you in death, I give you my blood, shed for you for the remission of all your sins. And so in observing this table, by faith, he comforts us afresh in making us to know ever so blessedly that everything I need to be saved is finished that everything I need to be accepted in God's sight is everlastingly done. We see another blessed design in this ordinance, how that this supper sets forth ever so blessedly how that Christ is not divided. Paul asks, is Christ divided? And the emphatic answer of Scripture is no. Christ is not divided. You see, beloved, it is not sufficient that we come together to hear the same preaching and the same word, but further to this, we must also meet around the same table to receive the same spiritual food and drink. Our Lord declares, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the Father, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever." My prayer, my ardent prayer, that the Lord is that the Lord grant all of His people gathered here this morning to feast upon the sanctification we have by His flesh and the justification we have by His blood. That indeed we are all here this morning, all of us will be granted to feast upon the gospel of His once for all sin atoning sacrifice. Now, poor adventure. Someone may hear me preach the word this morning and yet be my enemy. But if one partakes of the Lord's ordinances, both baptism and the Lord's table, that sinner, by that act, makes for himself individually a public confession of his faith. You see, those who have the same faith and the same hope, we all unite around the table of the Lord, while those of a different faith stand distant, detached, and it is to be feared, dead to Christ. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Father hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Is it nothing to you? Now, while agreement in a local church is to be desired, because really there should be no divisions in matters of faith and practice. And beloved, this union we have together is our common union or communion. And those 
who would not agree with other Christians in faith and practice, well, they differ in their belief and conduct, and hence they are unworthy to belong to the congregation of those who are of the mind of Christ, lest they might produce heresies and divisions. But nevertheless, Paul writes, there must be also heresies among you. There must be heresies in this local church in Corinth, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And so by means of the Lord's Supper, Christ enables us to see this undivided union of his body in a visible way among this little band of his people at Sovereign Grace Church. Uh, One old teacher from the 15th century observes in regard to the Lord's Supper that when Christ took bread and wine for his supper, he did so to indicate that just as many distinct and separate grains of wheat, when ground together, make one loaf of bread, So we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, though each each one is a distinct person and a separate individual. And again, he says, observes this, as many clusters of grapes and many little berries, each distinct and separate, when pressed together, form one bottle of wine. Thus, it is with the Christians who have the same faith, the same confession, and the same love and hope of salvation in Christ. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this question put to you. People want to know, uh, what's your religious affiliation? You ever have that question put to you? (laughs) I think I've found my most, this is most recently my newest favorite thing to say. Uh, I would just turn to Acts chapter 24 and read verse 14. By God's grace, I would say the same thing as Paul says. This I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, just across the page. Just turn to the left there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing with which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. You see, beloved, this supper sets forth our unity of purpose, doctrine, and faith in Christ and that none of us should stand alone nor have his or her own doctrine or belief. And though Satan, so sorely vexed at this, and is ever busy endeavoring to destroy the blessed unity and agreement that his people have through, by, and in Christ, well, that serpent of old knows full well what injury results to him if we are united in our good confession and obediently adhere to our one head, Christ Jesus the Lord. And though the devil daily endeavors to tempt us with false doctrines and with doubt and with lying insinuations against the blessed doctrine of our blessed head, hoping to cause dissensions in the visible church, nevertheless, the body of Christ, the invisible church, has never once been divided. Now, some of you are wealthy. Some of you are poor. Some of you are married. Some of you are single. Some of you have families. 
Some of you, carnally speaking, are orphans. And such distinctions must ever remain in our everyday life. But, beloved, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel, the promise and faith which I have, belongs equally to all men without distinction. Jew, Gentile, bond and free, male and female. And, beloved, this equality is pictured and set forth in the Lord's Memorial Supper, since in it we all by faith receive the same spiritual food and nourishment, whether we be a man or woman, parent or child, ruler or subject. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we better than they? In no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. You see, beloved, all of us are guilty before God. And this memorial supper is only for those who are guilty, only for those who are sinners, that they may, by God's grace, rejoice that even though they have sinned and come short of the glory of God, yet by this blessed memorial supper, taught of God, enabled by His grace, they may behold once again by faith that by the broken body and shed blood of God's Son, they are, even now, as Paul writes in verse 24 of Romans 3, that, beloved, we are being justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness that God might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Christ the Lord. My dear friend, if we have the same God-given faith, we are heirs of the same heaven. And though I may reside here in the United States, and my brother resides in China, and though we are personally total strangers to each other, nevertheless, that man who believes on Christ is my brother. For we both have the same Lord in whom we believe and hope for salvation. And beloved, this union of faith causes the devil immense displeasure. And he is ever on, a, on, on the alert to break up our fellowship. For he knows how his influence is thwarted when Christians firmly agree in faith and doctrine. That is, when they persevere in the doctrine of Christ. Remember what John writes in his second epistle. Second John, chapter, just the one chapter there, in verse 9, he writes these words, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Beloved, if anyone came in here among us who persisted to teach and preach those things not after Christ, not after his blessed doctrine, I'd show them those exit doors in a heartbeat. And so against these attempts of Satan, 
Christ instituted this memorial supper as a means of uniting his people together around his table in remembering him. My dear professing friend, if you and I are not in common union with Christ, we are in common union with the devil and will suffer greatly. Indeed, suffer great, great injury. You see, we ever have near us an advocate of evil. Let me repeat that. Every one of us in this auditorium, we have ever near us an advocate of evil, whether we eat or drink, whether we are asleep or awake, even our own flesh, the old Adam. You see, that old Adam of flesh accompanies us to bed and arises with us in the morning. And he pleads unceasingly and eloquently with the fixed purpose of estranging us from Christ and his gospel. This advocate of evil whom we constantly carry about with us, whoever dwells with us in our flesh, that old man is ever intent on exciting us to become rich and great in the world and sways us with the delusion that we have neither the occasion nor the time to go to the services. On Wednesday evening, there is nothing more important than being here. And why is that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is here, beloved. He is present when you are not. You know, if I were a literal shepherd and those animals in my care, all those precious sheep and lambs, if they were only eating one out of every three meals, certain it is my fellow shepherds would be right in saying, Joseph, you've got yourself a sick flock there. And what, and what can I do? No more, no more and no less than a literal shepherd. Ultimately, I must trust in the Lord and pray for those sheep and lambs he has entrusted into my care. And yes, I know I am but the under-shepherd. But, O oh Lord, give your sheep and lambs a healthy hunger for your word. Beloved of God, stop heeding the lying counsels of that old man within. Should you continue to do that, you will grow colder and colder in your love towards Christ and his precious promises and his people. And though we might even daily hear his word, this cunning tempter within us will bring it to pass that we do so merely outwardly, while in reality our devotion is nothing but a masquerade and mockery as our thoughts are engaged with the business of this world. Show me the greedy man who grows weary of his passion. Is it not rather true that the greedy, covetous man becomes fonder and fonder of his idols from day to day, cherishing and pursuing with eagerness material gain and worldly profit? And the same is true in regard to other sins. The lustful person delights in his wanton sexual pursuits, and he thinks and speaks about it with evident glee and indulges in his wicked passion more and more. Such are the instructions which that old man nature gives, which leads to destruction. Christ has designed to counteract the sinister influence of the old seducer within us, who would fix our attention chiefly upon temporal things. And so Christ instead sets before us this memorial supper, which, blessed of God, would have us to be mindful of eternity, of God's dear Son, our Savior, the one who died for us upon the cross. And it is his good pleasure to make his people to see our foolishness 
and the error of our way so that we would gladly come unto him, weary of our depraved life, explaining, exclaiming, O Lord, we know how sinful we are and how unable to resist the allurements of evil. Therefore, we cry unto thee for help. Lord, enable us to shun the world and to love thee truly. You see, beloved, let alone a monthly remembrance, truly we stand in need of a daily remembrance of Christ and in opposition to this evil advocate, this old man, Adam, within us, who clamors about our ears day and night, hoping to plunge us beyond all help into the cares and pleasures of this world, which we know lieth in wickedness. And so to starve this old man, Christ instituted this memorial supper, so that by its observant, blessed of God, we would feed the new man and remind us of the life to come. He takes the bread and the cup, and he tells his disciples to eat and to drink, saying, This is my body and blood given for you and shed for your sins, at the same time exhorting us to remember him and not to run merely after the things of this world, as sadly is the case we generally do. And so in this supper, beloved, we behold him. We come to him afresh as the various members of his body to remember our majestic head, him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Beloved, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. What a miserable lot we are, always ready to run after money and perishable things while we are so slow and adverse to come to this place where the gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is preached. Our Lord declares, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Where do you find the hungry? Where do you find the thirsty? Amongst those glad sinners made full, made complete in Christ. We are reminded at every service of the heavenly gift even his broken body and shed blood, Christ and him crucified, substitution and satisfaction. Here in this New Testament, we have by God's grace a precious treasure, indeed full salvation and true gladness conveyed to the new man in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But sadly, many of you have let that old man gotten the better of you and flee from the gospel meetings of this local church as if from a plague, or a poison, or some terrible punishment. My friend, the devil is the instigator of this, your bad choice. You see, he influences our old Adam, who is naturally backward and indifferent toward things eternal and cares more for that which is temporal. Set before you every Wednesday evening, every Sunday class, every Sunday worship service, is a feast to feed the hungry, a fount to quench the thirsty. And this ingratitude and carelessness is very sinful, yea, much more than can be imagined. Nevertheless, we are often guilty of it, else we would seek more diligently the kingdom of God and its blessings, which are not transitory, like earth, earthly property, of which by nature we are so much enamored. And so, beloved, let us never forget that we must in due time render an account of our behavior in this regard. As the Lord's Supper admonishes us not to be ungrateful any longer, 
but to realize, together with other brothers and sisters, those with whom we confess our faith and observe this most solemn supper, of what great blessings Christ holds for to our view through it, and how we should therefore serve and praise him as our Lord and God, him who not only died for us, but also gives us as nourishment for our souls this memorial supper, whereby the eye of faith we may behold his broken body and shed blood. His will in this is clear, that we should remember him whilst we receive it to the strengthening of our faith individually and the promotion of our unity in Christ corporately. God grant that every one of us may understand why our Lord commands us to remember him with praise and thanksgiving for his mercy and kindness, and also to receive therefrom gospel comfort and gospel assurance by faith. God grant that our hearts be firm and not doubt. Be not doubting, but believing. And God grant us to know that indeed God is pleased with us in Christ and that he will not punish us for our sins since his Son, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, gave for us his body and for us shed his precious blood. God grant every one of us to proclaim the death of our Lord aright and fulfill his command this morning in remembering what he did for me and for you and breaking his body and remember what he did for me and for you in shedding his blood. Beloved, he says to you and me who believe, this do in remembrance of me. And by his grace, beloved, we'll remember the Lord's death till he come. Amen.